Good morning. I have a few announcements as I welcome you here this morning. First one is uh, the office is closed for the King holiday tomorrow. Sunday night programs will be held at usual places and times tonight. This afternoon, the membership evangelism committee meets at 3. Uh, Council of Ministries at 4. That's a reschedule from last week. Reschedule on the Finance Committee. It meets next Sunday at 8 a.m. Next Sunday. Next Sunday, we will honor our scouting program in the 11 o'clock service. So please be here for that. Next Sunday, this is for confirmands and their parents. We will have a brief orientation in the junior high classroom during at the beginning of the Sunday school hour. And John and Julia Shannon, uh, you want to do? Do you want to? Well, <laughs> can Julia do it? Okay, y'all do it. They have an announcement, and then we'll have another announcement. <laughs> He's not going to miss the opportunity to speak to y'all. with our money going to Heifer's International Seeds of Hope program. This program works in two very poor areas, the <coughs> Arkansas Delta and Appalachia. This program will provide 17 families with heifers, goats, and sheep, assist 116 families in food production, and providing income for their families. The original 17 families who received livestock will pass on the offspring to an to an additional 17 families. The project will also establish three farmers markets and one community kitchen, which will benefit 45 families. We appreciate the help that the church has given us with the scoreboard project and look forward to your continuing support. Thank you. Thank you. The, and so, you know, I think it's great that they've decided to move uh, to their new project from the first one was kind of inward looking, right, with our scoreboards, and this one is outward focused, and I think that's great. And the heifer project that they mentioned will also be our uh, special offering uh, during uh, Lent. Uh, we will roll that out during the first Sunday of Lent, so you will need to do that through the church uh, project, too. Also, okay, finally, last thing is this. It's very important. Uh, Scott Stevens is here from Piedmont Women's Center. Scott, if you go ahead and make your way up to this microphone. The, the, the Health and Welfare Committee of our council ministries, and it was approved by the board, our administrative board, that we would uh, participate in the baby bottle campaign to support the Piedmont Women's Center. There's more information about this in your bulletin, and Scott is going to give us a little brief overview. Thank you, Scott share with you a little bit about what Piedmont Women's Center is doing right now. Many of you might not be aware of Piedmont Women's Center and what we do. We are an organization that started 21 years ago to stand in the gap for those babies that are not yet born. Here in our state since 1973, we have lost over 55 
or I'm sorry, in the nation, we've lost over 55 million babies. We lose about 7,000 babies here in South Carolina. And it's our job to try to help those mothers to see that the life that they've been given is a life that's been from God and that it's precious, but also to horrible, horrible repercussions of abortion, to come to grips with what that, what's happened and to help them through biblical counseling to understand that God loves them and wants to help them to heal. These baby bottles help us to fund that program. We've been very successful over the past many years. We've been able to reduce the number of, of abortions that have happened here in the state. We had a high of about 14,000, almost 15,000 abortions at one time. We're now down to about 7,000. And through legislation and through centers like what we have here in Greenville and Greer, we're able to reduce that number significantly. We've got about 20 centers that, that are operating throughout the state to try to make sure that life is seen as precious. So the donations that you give change into these baby bottles, bills into these baby bottles, help the center through our uh, ultrasound machines. We give free ultrasounds to women so they can see the life that's within them. Also the pregnancy tests that we offer too. We offer biblical counseling, but we also offer counseling to those that have gone through that horrible, uh, horrible tragedy of abortion to heal and understands God love, God's love. So if you'll fill these bottles, bring them back next week, they'll take them up and this money will help to go support the cause. Thank you so much for your time and we appreciate your, uh, your commitment to helping us with this.
be with you. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we ask that you would bless us so we may bless others. We ask that you expand our territory so we may be kingdom builders. We pray that your hand would be with us so that our hands could be a help to others. And we ask that you would keep us from evil so that we would not cause pain to anyone. We pray in your name. Amen. affirm our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. seated. Let our children come forward for our children's time.
Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good. Hopefully a little better than me. I have a cold. So, um, can you tell me some ways we might be able to worship God? Can you think of some things? By praying, that's right. What do you think, Emma? By singing songs. You're on the right track. That's what I like to hear. Mm-hmm. By reading the Bible. By reading the Bible. What else, Sarah? By going to church. There are lots of ways to worship God. Can you take a guess at what my favorite way might be? Yeah, music and singing. Exactly. And when I went to read the scripture this week that Reverend Curtis is going to speak about, I noticed one verse. Listen to it. It says, David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. So, of course, the one music verse in the whole passage stuck out to me. And I got really excited about it. And I started thinking about... um, some ways that the way we can worship God with our music. Then I started thinking about this guy right here. Now it tells you on here who is this? You got it, Johann Sebastian Bach, J.S. Bach, um, a very famous composer. What's a composer? Right, someone who writes um, music, very close, near and dear to my heart, this man right here, you know. Um, Anyway, you're right, he wrote music, and actually he was employed for a church, and uh, he lived about 250 years ago, long, long ago. And did you know he actually wrote hymns for us? We have about 14 of his hymns in our Methodist hymnal today. So you can go and look at your hymnal, I'll show you, at the very bottom, and it'll tell you who the composer is. So look right here, I, I put a square around it, you see down there? This is Harmonies by J.S. Bach. So even today, we're singing hymns that were written long, long ago. But there was one thing special about Bach. Um, In his original compositions that he wrote, at the very end, he put three little letters. It was a little abbreviation. He put the letter S, the letter D, and the letter G. And that stood for a Latin phrase, which which says, Soli Deo Gloria, which means I give all the glory to God. So every time he wrote a piece of music or played on the organ or his choir was to sing, they always did this in honor and glory of God. I think that's a great thing to think about. Um, Every time we sing or the choir sings or we play our handbells or Miss Ann plays the organ, it's a very important thing that we give our um, talent um, up for God. All right. So let's have a quick prayer, and I want you to think about that next time you have to, you get to sing up here or play the handbells or even play the piano. I want you to think about how you're giving all the glory up to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the gift of music. May we always use that gift to sing and make music in our hearts to the Lord. Amen. Our first scripture lesson comes from page 874 in your pew Bible. It is Psalm 36, verses 5 through 10. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. 
your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Let us bow our heads in prayer. O oh God, in your mercy, hear the prayers of these thy people. O oh God, whose faithfulness and righteousness go beyond all boundaries, we come before you to feast on the abundance of your grace. Your steadfast love overshadows us. We come and sing our praises to your precious and holy name. Your love has given us a new name that we might not be called forsaken. But we must confess, O oh God, that we do not answer when you call. You have loved us as your own, but we have been unfaithful. In your steadfast love and mercy, forgive us our sin. By your grace, make us once again shining examples of your glory so that you may delight in us. And in your infinite wisdom, you have given to us the Holy Spirit. Make it active and fresh again in each one here. May we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord of our life and all creation. As we celebrate in worship this day, we lift up to you those who drink a cup of affliction. We uplift by your presence the many who have no cause to rejoice. We pray, O oh God, that you'd relieve the physical and spiritual and mental pain of those who are suffering and grant them peace. We pray, O oh God, for each one listed in our prayer bulletin. And we pray for those within our family and friends and those things that concern us within our community and nation and world now. Hear us, O oh God. Fill our cup and answer our prayers. For we offer them in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let our ushers come forward as we continue our worship with our giving.
Please be seated. The text today comes from 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. And David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day the place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David after this had happened. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Edom, Obed-Edom, and his entire household. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Oh God, mostly that sounds strange to us. Uh, the names of the people and places, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, all these things are mostly strange to our ears. I'm not sure how they fit into all our struggles that we have each and every day. But Lord, by your Holy Spirit, guide us now to seek and to understand this word for us and our time. We pray in your name. Amen. Details. There's a book that I read several years ago, it's been out a while now, that uh, is uh, often told uh, people to read, especially when they're in business. And um, it's by Richard Carlson. You may have heard of it. It's, this title is Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And it's all small stuff. Any of you maybe heard this or read this? And that's probably good advice for us uh, because we tend to... Uh, make big deals out of lots of small things, and in the end, it's not all that important. And for some, this is the picture of God. Uh, for some, some believe that God is only concerned with this big picture. They only think that, uh, they think that God is only uh, concerned with uh, the, the big picture of my life and doesn't really have time to worry about the details 
the little details of my life. And therefore, most of the time we ignore some of those details. Some of those little details end up becoming little, you know, white lies and dirty little secrets. And we think it's all right because God's got the big picture. But you see, the thing is, is that here is a story in the Old Testament about when David, king of all Israel, learned that those small details are very important to God. Small details are very important to God. And David found out the hard way. Now let me recap the story again in a little more easier to understand English. David is the king. He knows that the Ark of Covenant had been captured by the Philistines and then the Philistines started having all kinds of problems. So they said, hey, we don't want this Ark. So they sent it to a border town where it stayed with this person. And David says, I'm going to go get that ark and bring it back and put it where it rightly belongs. Well, he gathers some men. And they go. They bring a brand new cart. They put it on the cart and they start singing and carrying on and head that way. But now the cart hits a bump in the road. You know, it wasn't a nice, beautiful, paved freeway. It would have been a rutted road with rocks and bumps along the way, a little bit like our lives. It hits a bump in the road. And everyone, you know, wants to make sure that the ark doesn't fall off the cart. I mean, seems like a logical thing. Uh, we finally got the ark. We finally got it heading where it belongs. And the last thing we want to happen is for it to fall off and get a dent in it or dirt on it or something, right? We don't want that to happen. And, and so one particular person reaches out and grabs the ark to steady it. Now, there's a whole sermon right there on faith that I'm let you think about and sermonize yourself. I might sermonize on that some other time. But look, remember that the ark is holy. It's beyond holy. It is as described God's place of rest when he decides to show up in the temple. He sits there on the ark between the cherubim. It's not to be touched by ordinary mortal hands. It is holy. Holy means set apart. Set apart for God's use. And so, the story says, the man dies. David starts having second thoughts. Maybe bringing the ark to Jerusalem wasn't such a good idea. Maybe he can't take care of the ark. Maybe he doesn't have what it takes. So he stops off at a nearby subject's house and he leaves the ark there. And I kind of always thought and wondered, I wonder what that guy thought. <laughs> you know, the Philistines didn't have much luck with this thing. And the last person that touched it was zapped. I don't even want it near me, but he's the king. I got to take it. So it was left there. And it was stayed there for three months. And it turns out that two things were going on during those three months. One is that that family was blessed by just having that ark near them. They didn't have to do anything at all, but they were blessed. The other thing that happened during that three months was that David started to inquire as to why 
This family's being blessed in the last time, and here I am trying to bring it to the capital to put it in the temple, and one of my men died. What went wrong? What, why did something that was meant for good turn out so bad? Have you ever heard of the old saying that, that um, good intentions pave the road to perdition, or perdition road is paved with good intentions? Well, you see, what I didn't read the next few uh, verses is that, that David went back to the source, which is a good, another good sermon all by itself. What do you do when things don't work out? You go back to the source, and he went to the source, which is the, the Bible, which was the Old Testament as we call it today. And there, there's a book called Numbers. And in that book, in chapters 3 and 4, guess what? It gives in great detail how you should transport the ark. Details. Details like you're to put poles through the rings on the ark and the Levites only, which are the priests, are to lift it and carry it. No human hand is to touch it. It certainly shouldn't be put on some oxen cart and be carried all around the countryside. The only ones allowed to lift and to move the ark of God were the Levites, the priest, and they carried it by poles and no human hands were to touch it. And this seems like a small detail. And if you think about it, this is the way all life is. Life is in the details. Getting the details right. You see, details are important to God and they were important to God in this instance and they're important to God in lots of instances, and it's an important lesson for us to learn as well as David who learned that day that when God gives you a specific instruction on how to do something, when God gives you a specific instruction on how to do something, it's best to follow those instructions and not to try to do it your way. So, it makes you thop and think, doesn't it? God is concerned about the details. Right here's a good example of it. Now, if God is concerned about the details, the small stuff in something like this, which really in our minds doesn't seem like such a big deal, then it means that details and small stuff are important to God in our life too. These things matter to God. And as I said, David learned the hard way that these details, this small stuff mattered to God. And so if we want to be people of God, if we want to be people of God after God's own heart, as David is often described, then we need to pay attention also to what matters to God, even the small stuff. This story reminds me that it's not always enough just to do the right thing. We have to do it the right way. If you don't do it the right way, then it ends up being that part of that cliche, well, I had good intentions. They just didn't work out right. You see, this is also about principles and precepts. Let me give you an example. If you're driving and you see a sign that says, drive defensively. Now, these signs used to be all over the place. I don't think they're up much anymore. Some of you might remember them. If you saw a sign like that, you know that that is a principle. That, that driving defensively 
is open to some interpretation. When I'm driving, driving defensively means that most of the time I drive, as my children describe it, like a grandpa, which I am. When Brenda drives defensively, it means she drives a little bit more like Richard Petty used to drive. It's open to interpretation. But if you see a sign that says speed limit 35, you know that that's not a principle. That's not a suggestion. It's not open to interpretation. You know that that's a precept because no interpretation is needed. If you go over 35, you're subject to a ticket. It is the same wherever you go. A speed limit sign or a stop sign is a precept. Precepts must be followed to the letter. Principles allow some room for interpretation. Sometimes God, sometimes God gives us precepts. Sometimes He gives us principles. It was a precept that the ark was to be carried one way and one way only. No room for interpretation. That's the way God wanted it. And David ignored that rule and someone perished. It's important thing to me that if God gives us specific precepts, specific instructions, we ought to pay attention. We ought to pay attention. We should obey. There's a reason. Whether we understand it or not, whether uh, we think it matters or not, it matters to God. Even if it seems like small stuff or details, it matters to God and it should matter to us. Uh, and the first crucial step in Christian discipleship and growing as disciples of God is to learn obedience to God's precepts. To be true followers of Jesus Christ, we have to learn to obey Jesus Christ. Jesus said to us that we are to love Him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Now, there's no way you can do that without obeying many commandments. And Jesus gave us several commandments to remember and to follow. He even said that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments in John 14, 15. This means obeying Him in things that we may not agree with or understand yet, or we might simply go, well, that's just a little white lie. That's just a little dirty secret. It's doesn't, not a big deal. But it is to God. And when we obey God, we're having faith in God and trust in God that what He has asked us to obey is good for us. Now we know this is true as parents. How many of you had children who have maybe done something like this, maybe sit down when you didn't realize it, and before you know it, they had already eaten that whole bag of candy, right? Or they pulled that half a gallon of ice cream out and sucked that down. Oh, they were happy for a few moments until their stomach started hurting, right? You see, they got sick and they started to understand and learn that it was better to obey. It's better if we obey Jesus than not. But Jesus' burden is light. He asks us to do just a few things, like love each other, celebrate Holy Communion, 
baptize new believers, turn the other cheek. These things are not really that burdensome. Jesus tells us to trust Him in obeying Him. And it's better for us if we do. Now reaching out and touching the ark might have seemed like a small thing. But because it was very important to God, and He wanted to teach David, and therefore by teaching David, He taught the whole nation that it was important. And so David learned what was important to God. And what's important to God, it's a very important lesson for us, is that God is in the details. God is in the details. I know you've heard it said devil's in the details. But the devil wants you to think the details aren't important. And when the details aren't important, yeah, the devil's right there in them. When God asks us to obey, let us trust that there's a good reason for it. And let us follow God's way instead of our own. And when we do, we'll experience harmony, fulfillment, and victory. And just in case you didn't get what I'm saying today, we're going to stand and sing one of my favorite hymns, 467, Trust and Obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than trust and obey.
receive now the blessings of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the blessed, eternal, almighty God, one God, now and forevermore. Amen.